0: So we're starting a brand new series called Messed Up, and the idea behind it is we all sin. Who here sins? I do. Wow, like half the room didn't raise their hand. I didn't know we were in the presence of the holy ones. That's incredible. Uh, We all sin, we all mess up, we all fail and make mistakes. I think that's a given, but one of the things I want to look at is how do we respond to our sin? What do we do when we sin? What do we do basically with our sin? So there's a lot of stories in the Bible we can look at that show us about that. Today, we're going to be looking at the story of Adam and Eve. Now, some of you guys may be like, Adam and Eve, that's like the most basic Bible story out there. Like we've been learning that since children's ministry forever and ever, amen. But today, I wanna look at it in a little bit of a different and fresh way. So, first of all, one of the things I want to say is sorry. And what I mean by that is I'm talking about apologies. So sorry for talking about Adam and Eve. Sorry for wearing this shirt that I always wear. I'm trying to think of things to apologize for. We, we apologize for things. We, we mess up. We make mistakes. I think apologies would be unnecessary if we lived in a perfect world because there'd be no sin. There'd be no hurt feelings. But we don't live in a perfect world. We totally need apologies. In James 3, verse 2. It says, indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongue, we'd be perfect and also could control ourselves in every other way. It's saying your mouth is always running and running. Who here always feels like they're saying stupid things all the time, constantly to people around them? So if you can control your mouth, you can control every part of yourself, but it's our mouths and the things that we say are usually what we're getting in trouble for the most. Uh, You can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, by the way. That's where we're going to be. So we all make mistakes, we know that. What we wanna talk about tonight, guys, family, is not the mistake, but it's what comes after the mistake. It's not the falling down, we all do, we all fall down on our face, but it's how do you get back up? It's what do you do when you're down on the ground? What do you do when you fall, and what do you do when you've made mistakes? You're going to fail, but the question is how do you fail? Do you fail good, do you fail well? That's what we wanna talk about tonight. And I think one of the most important things about failing, honestly, is being able to apologize. I think we need to be able to say that we're sorry. Who here likes to hear I'm sorry? When someone has done something that wrongs you, who here, I'm a big on that. When someone messes with me, I really, like I don't like revenge. I don't like finding them in their sleep and stabbing them. Like I don't like I I just want to hear I'm sorry. That's kind of how I'm wired. If someone and but who here who here can tell when someone says sorry but they don't really mean it? Who here can tell that? That's not fun. I don't like that. I I don't like fake apologies, false apologies, non apologies. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Those are like two of like the most needed words. To come out of our mouth. Two of the most powerful words. I mean, those are words that can, like, it's like putting a giant band-aid on a wound. When someone really, really hurts you, hearing the words, I'm sorry, can really, really mend a broken heart. But I think they're also two of the most abused words in our vocabulary. We say them all the time. I don't know about you, but like, I say, I'm sorry to my wife so much. Just like, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, do, who here feel, finds themselves with their parents, with their siblings, with their friends saying, I'm sorry a lot? Anybody? I, I will admit, I say, I'm sorry a lot. We live in the age of a, the backhanded compliment. Does anyone know what that means, a backhanded compliment? Anybody? Okay. Here's a couple of backhanded compliments I've compiled for you. Backhanded compliment number one. Your new haircut really helps slim your face. Translation, you have a fat face. Okay. Someone in here is like, someone just said that to me. Backhand of compliment number two. If only I could be as laid back as you about all the clutter and chaos. Translation, your home is a disaster. Okay, backhand of compliment number three. I wish I was confident enough to re- wear something so revealing. Translation, you look trashy. Backhand of compliment number four, I think. You're so normal compared to the last girl I dated. Translation, you're boring. So boring. Backhanded compliment, last one. That's your girlfriend? She's gorgeous. Translation, I'm surprised your significant other is neither ugly nor blind as you have the face only a mother could love. So we say things to each other. Backhanded compliments. Compliments that aren't really compliments, but what's even worse, to me, is apologies that are not really apologies. And that's why the first point of tonight, just to get your mind into it, is sorry, not sorry is not a good apology. It all starts in the heart. This picture right here we're looking at is Adam and Eve getting cast out of the garden. And at this point, I'm sure that their sorry was really genuine. You know like when you get in trouble And, like, who's ever had this situation? Your your parents, like, go back to, like, childhood. You get in trouble. You were supposed to not put your hand in the cookie jar, and you put your hand in the cookie jar, and you ate that cookie, and then you ate all 36 cookies, and you're sitting there on the floor, and your belly's, like, sticking out, and your parents come out, and they're like, why'd you eat the cookies? And you're like, I'm sorry you're not really sorry. But then they smack you, and then you're crying, and you really are sorry. This is the point where they've reached. Look at Adam and he's just like, oh, I'm so sorry. And Eve's just like, I don't know what she's doing. And the angel's like, hey, I don't know what's going on with that angel. Anyway, sorry, not sorry. I'm sorry for being so weird. I apologize. Okay, a non-apology is not a real apology. Our relationships will suffer if we offer them fake apologies. 2 Corinthians 7.10 has this to say, for godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. What this is saying is the, the sorrow of the Lord, like when you do something, when you sin, when you mess up and you just really feel it in your heart, like, man, I blew it. I messed up. I made a mistake. When you can really say that in your heart, that's godly sorrow. When you mess up and someone calls you out and you're just kind of like, sorry, or when you feel even the Holy Spirit convicting you and just kind of like, sorry, God, thanks for forgiving me. That's the sorrow of the world, and it leads to nothing but death. It leads to nothing but the death of our conscience, the death of our hearts, all these things. There's more than one way to say you're sorry, I really want to talk about apologies, and I want us to learn what makes a good apology, because if you guys can figure out how to own your failures, then your failures won't be able to control you. I don't know about you guys, but I've spent a lot of my life feeling controlled by my failures, I don't know, I don't wanna see any like show of hands, but some of you guys might be here tonight and you've got relationships in your family, you've got problems with your friends and you feel like there's broken relationships. Maybe it's with mom, maybe it's with dad, maybe it's with a brother or sister, maybe it's with someone who is supposed to be your best friend, but maybe some of you guys feel like there's hurt and there's problems and there's frustrations in relationships and what I really believe is that God wants to give us the power to fix relationships in our life. And that's because he's the one who's doing the fixing if we allow him. So, Genesis chapter three, are you there? Who's there? Genesis chapter three. Okay, in Genesis chapter three, we're gonna be looking at three things we wanna find in an apology. Three keys to a good apology. One is responsibility. It's saying, I did it. This is my mistake. I messed up. I blew it. It's, I own it. I did it. Two, regret. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I'm really bummed that I did that. My heart is broken that I did that. And three, remedy. Remedy means like cure. It, when someone's sick, you give them a remedy. Remedy to a, to a problem is saying, I did it. I wish I hadn't done it. And here's what I'm going to do to make it better. Here's what I'm going to do to set things straight. We want to look at Adam and Eve's story. We want to say, do we see these three things in the story? I want you guys to be thinking, responsibility, regret, and remedy. Do we see these things in Adam and Eve's story? So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Read with me or in your Bibles. We're going to jump right into the story because this is a story we've heard a hundred times if you're a christian if you've grown up a christian you've heard the story of adam and eve so i'm not going to go into the whole creation story i'm not going to like you know what happens it's adam and eve they're in the garden they're naming all the animals they're having a good time and then a snake slithers up genesis 3 so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate she also gave to her husband with her and he ate Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? Adam, where are you? Um, verse 10, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I mean, that's never happened to me before. And I hid myself. Verse 11, and God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, it was the woman you gave to me. She gave me of the tree, and I ate. And then the God said to the woman, was. what is this that you've done, Eve? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the first time in the history of the universe that anybody ever needed to say that they were sorry. Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. God shows up and says, what have you done? Now, God disciplines all three of these guys, all three, Adam, Eve, and the snake. They get kicked out of the garden. The snakes lose their legs. I guess snakes used to have legs. I don't know if they were lizards or whatever, but they they used to walk around on legs. I I like to think that maybe they stood upright on two legs and were just like, hey, I'm a snake. I don't know, but they lost their legs. Now they're crawling around. But here's the thing. Adam and Eve, even though they get punished, we're not going to focus on the punishment We're going to focus on the process. We're going to focus on what happened in this whole story, in this situation, when God sees them and says, this is what you did, how did they respond to their sin? That's what I want you guys to be thinking about this whole series is, when I mess up, what do I do with my sin? How do I respond? So we want to look at what Adam and Eve do. The first thing we want want to talk about is the idea of coming clean. To come clean means to come out with it, to just be like, I blew it. I messed up. I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm just going to... I'm just going to come up and confess it. I'm just going to admit it. Now, Adam and Eve, their sin, messing up, that's responsible for everything that's ever been bad in the history of the universe. Every death, every murder, every rape, like everything that's ever been bad in the world, it all goes back to this moment when Adam and Eve sin in the garden. It all ties back to that. In romans five twelve it says, "Therefore, just as one mans sin or just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned." I was listening to a teacher named Levi Lesko, and he had this illustration where he said basically." There was an atom bomb that was dropped in the garden. Not an atom bomb, but an atom bomb. And we're still feeling the effects of the atom bomb. The explosion of that one decision of Adam and Eve choosing to disobey God, it has infected us all with a sin virus. We're, we're dying because of it. Death has spread to all. We have sinned by nature. You're born as a sinner, but you also have a choice, and all of us have chosen to sin. We've all done wrong things. But today we're not talking about the crime, we're not talking about the punishment, we're talking about the cover-up. Who's ever seen a movie where there was a crime and then there was a cover-up? Someone trying to hide the evidence, someone trying to prove that it didn't happen. Anybody ever seen that? That's what we're talking about today, the cover-up. It's not what they did, but it's what they did next. We all know the story, we all know Adam and Eve, but here's how we make it really relatable. Really relatable. God told two people not to do something, and then they did it. Super relatable. Who here has ever had God tell them to do something or not do something, and then you did the opposite? I will be the first to say it. There's times where God tells me to do something, either in my heart or I'm just reading in the Bible. God says, don't do that. And I go, oh, that sounds like fun. I think I'm going to do it. And then I did it. Adam and Eve sin, just like you sin, just like I sin. How do they respond to their sin? What are the three things? Who knows? Three things. Remember? What's the first one? Starts with an R. Three R's. Someone say it. Regret. Responsibility. Oh, you you did it better than me. Responsibility, regret, and then remedy. Awesome. That's perfect because I wrote it down wrong in my notes. I was like, what is it? I don't even know. Responsibility. What is it again? Responsibility, regret, remedy, Okay. Here's what I did. I'm sorry that I did it. And here's what I'm going to do to fix it. Adam and Eve, do they have that in their story? No, it's completely absent. They're not sorry. They're not taking ownership and they're not trying to fix it. They're just blaming. They're just saying, I didn't do it. It was Eve. I didn't do it. It was a snake. And so their story is a cautionary tale. It's like, here's what we need to avoid as Christians. Whenever you read something in the Old Testament, it's either something, whenever you read about Jesus, it's always like, this is how you should be. Whenever you read the Old Testament, it's either one or two things. It's here's a story of a character that you should emulate, someone you should read and go, I'm gonna be like this guy. Or it's a story about someone you read and go, I'm not gonna be like this guy. We need to read this story of Adam and Eve and go, I don't necessarily wanna be like Adam and Eve because this is basically a case study of how not to apologize. It is a total epic failure on the scale of apology because they reacted to their sin with fear they sin and they end up running away and hiding behind trees they didn't have they didn't have faith with their sin they didn't come to god saying god we know you can take care of our sin we know you can heal our sin instead they had faith they ran from the only person who could fix the problem that's like like living with a guy who's a clockmaker And you accidentally break the clock and then you run from the only person in the house who can fix the clock. That's the way God is and we run from him. When we sin, he's the only one who can fix our problems. Here's the thing. We're talking about the idea of coming clean. You can't be clean unless you come clean. If you won't admit guilt, you'll never be free of guilt. It makes me think of like a little kid and they're out running in the backyard and they get mud all over them and they get dirty and they get messed up and they get nasty and then they don't want their parents to see because they're afraid they're gonna get like beat or something. That's how I was. I mean, if I, like, left, like, my parents didn't, like, beat me. But if I left, like, marks on the floor when I came in after running around, like, my mom got upset. So I learned, like, if you have mud on your shoes, don't come in. Mom's going to be mad. And we think of God that way. We think, like, i got to stay away from God. I can't go to church. I can't be around God. I messed up. I made a mistake. When really, God is the only one who can clean us. He's the only one who can make us clean. We'll never be free of guilt unless we come clean. In 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That word purify means clean. God is saying if you will come to him and say, God, I messed up, I blew it. If we genuinely will come to him and say, God, I really, really made a mistake here. Not only will he forgive us, but he purifies us. He makes us clean. Unlike Adam and Eve, when we cross the line, we need to not run from our sin, but we need to run to God. This is something I stole from another pastor. It's kind of awkward, but it's a great phrase. He says, in the terms of Adam and Eve, what they needed to do and what we need to do is we need to get our butt out of it. Look to the person on your left and say, get your butt out of it. Then look to the person on your right and say, don't tell me what to do with my butt. Okay, awkward. Okay, here's the point of that. Stop hiding or get your butt out of it. Here's what I mean by that. One, Adam and Eve, they were naked. They had exposed butts. So they needed to get those butts out of the trees. They were hiding in literal trees hiding behind trees. In Genesis 3, verse 8, it says they were hiding from God among the trees. Now, these guys had something that you have never had, and I have never had, and I won't get till heaven. And I'm so jealous of Adam and Eve. They had a daily meeting with God. Now, I get to get up in the morning and read my devotions, which I love, but they actually got to, like, walk through the garden with God. Can you imagine, like, walking through the garden and through the trees? You wake up in the morning, and you open your eyes, and God's standing there, and he's like, ha, 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 hello, my child. Let's walk through the trees. And you're just walking with God. He's this big, jolly guy, I imagine, with, like, a big Santa beard. And he's just, he's awesome. He's like, look at this tree, I mean. Ha, ha, look at that liger. Like, you know, I don't know, ligers. Tigers, lion tigers. He, it's just amazing. The Like, I love God. I think God is amazing. I love sitting out. My favorite place in the world is my little patio deck. I love sitting out. On it and just looking at the stars or sometimes the sunset. I, God blessed me with this awesome tiny little house. I love it. It's my favorite place in the world. And I sit on my deck with my cup of tea and I just and I look out and I and I talk with God and I pray and I read my Bible and I love that. But I'm so jealous of Adam and Eve's ability to like walk and talk and actually like hold hands. I mean that just blows my mind. They got to hang out with God and they got fulfillment from that. I mean really that's what we all need. I mean every single person. In the world who's ever existed, who just gets on Instagram and Facebook and posts, I don't know what life is all about. I there's meaningless, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing for me. It's because they've got this hole in their heart because they need God. We were created, the main purpose, the main function, not to get rich, not to even like go to church. Our, our main function as human beings was to have a relationship with God and, and a personal relationship with God, where we're talking with Him and walking with Him. And they had that. And Every single morning, it fulfilled them. Here's the thing to encourage you guys really quick. Heaven, it's not just a place, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. What I want you guys to really understand is that you are called to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so available. It's so, it's, 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 it's so like there for the taking. It's that free gift. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just to forgive your sins. It was so that you could have an actual, real, lasting relationship with him. And the Bible says that there used to be this veil in the temple. It was this giant curtain. And once a year, a priest would go behind it because you couldn't pray. Only the priest could pray. And he'd go behind the curtain, and he'd pray for all the people in Israel. And if he had done anything bad that day and hadn't repented and washed himself like a 100 times, he'd be struck dead. That's how hard it was to get to God. And Jesus said, I don't want to have any of that. God said, we don't want to have any of that. So they sent Jesus to die. And because of Jesus' death, your sin doesn't separate you from God anymore. That veil in the temple, the curtain actually tore in half to symbolize in a very real way that you, as a high schooler in America in 2014, can get up and get In your Bible, and you can get on your knees or sit down and and, or stand up or walk around and you can talk to the one who made the universe. That's incredible. Heaven's not just a place, it's a person, it's Jesus. And we need to realize we're not just living so that one day we can die and go to heaven, but we're living so that we can be with Jesus. And that's heaven on earth is to walk with Jesus. But listen. Sin caused them to be afraid of what they normally look forward to. They looked forward to those walks with God. Where are they now? They're hiding behind trees. They looked forward to those walks with God. Now they're dreading it. They don't want to walk with God. They don't want to be around God because they're scared. They're scared of God finding out what they did. I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of times where I've messed up, and I've been afraid of getting caught in what I did and it's not a fun feeling. Sin warps our lives. That's why when you tell a lie at home, when you do something behind your parents' back, you're just dreading it because you're like you're trying to cover it up. You're trying to cover your tracks. Did I tell them the right thing? Do they understand th- the lie I made up? Does it all check out? My facts? Do my friends back me up? Did I delete the history on my internet? Did I make sure that they don't know what channel I was watching? Do, they, do I do, do I make sure they don't know what album I bought offline? Do my parents not know who I've been? Chatting with late at night, what boys I've been staying up with late at night and talking to on Snapchat, things that we know that our parents would be bummed about and disappointed. When you're sinning and you're lying and you're trying to cover it up, it just drives you crazy. You're just thinking, Do they know? Do they know? Do they know? Do they know? You're always looking over your shoulder, Did I cover my trail? It's, it's the worst. It honestly is the worst. And I've been there so many times as a high school kid, and it is the worst when you're trying to hide something, not only from your parents, but from God. When you let sin into your life, you'll be full of dread over what should normally cause you joy. You're not going to want to be around your parents, something that God designed you to be around your family and to enjoy your family and to love your family. You're not going to want to be around them. The thing that you were designed to have great joy in doing, you'll be filled with dread. I don't want to be around my parents. Who's ever been, like, who can admit they've ever been hiding something from your parents and you're sitting at the table with them and, like, you know that they know, but they just won't say it because they want to make you miserable. Has anyone ever been there? And they're just staring at you and you're like, I know, like, just say it. Just please, like, just get it over with. And they're just like, so, how was your day? (laughs) You're just like, they know. Like, I know that they know. And think about it. They're in dread over the sound of God approaching. It says they ran and hid when they heard God approaching. What does that sound like? What is God approaching? Is it like like a fighter jet? Like he comes down and, and ascends from the clouds? Like, I don't know. I don't know what God approaching sounds like. But normally, when they heard the noise of God approaching, they were like, yes, it's God. He's coming. He's approaching. Yes, oh, I love you. But now they're hearing God approaching, and they're running from him they're hiding from him. When you're hiding sin, again, the things that should bring you joy bring you dread. Going to church, which normally should be about you, going to a place where you can be real, where you can be honest about who you are, not like, hey, I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. Bless Jesus. Like, we're just, like, talking about how awesome you are and how godly you are. No, like, Church is a place where we come together and we can listen to a Bible study and we can go, okay, that encourages me, that convicts me, that's okay, that's what I need to hear. That's what we we need to be challenged. We need to be convicted. We need to be able to be open. When we go into small groups and people ask us, how are you really doing? When a counselor comes up and says, how are you really doing? We need to be open. But when we're hiding sin and we're not willing to come clean, it's just... Struggling and struggling with just fear. I just, people can't find out what would happen. Oh, I'd be the worst. Your Christian friends become annoying because they come up and they're like, how are you? How are you doing? No, how are you really doing? And you're just like, get away from me. I don't want to talk to you right now. Now, here's the thing. Satan, this whole time, is just laughing at Adam and Eve. He's looking at him, He's like, ha, 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 you guys are so dumb. That's what Satan does. Listen, Satan's the guy who's like, hey, hey, guess what? Th- this fruit, it's so good. You should eat it. I know God said not to eat it. But did he really say not to eat it? Come on, eat it, eat it, eat it. And then you eat, it, and he's like, oh, I can't believe you ate that. You sinner. You better run. God's coming. He hates you. He hates you. That's what Satan does, honestly. But listen, when you sin, your sin is going to want to push you as far away from Jesus as possible. The enemy wants to push you as far away from Jesus as possible. But run to Jesus, don't run away from him. He's the one who loves you, he's the only one who can make you clean, he's the only one who can fix you up. Hiding never helps. It never helps. And it's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible to hide from God because really, he's everywhere. In Numbers, it says, be sure your sin will find you out. And Jesus even says, everything that's done in secret will one day be proclaimed from the rooftops. And we see that all the time. With social media, it stinks to be a celebrity. Because literally, every little thing you do is just blown up. I I walk through the magazine aisles of the store, and it's just every little like, look at this pimple that Miley Cyrus had. It's the worst pimple of all. And it's just like this giant like Photoshop. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that would be the worst to have every little flaw you ever had just be out there in the open. There's all these scandals of celebrities and it stinks to be a Christian celebrity because then you're really under the microscope. And sometimes Christians can be really nasty to other Christians. And I'll admit to it. Seriously, there's been Christian celebrities where when they've messed up, I've just been, as a, as a pastor, I've just been like, I can't believe that. They were supposed to be a Christian. Wow, I really feel that down. Like, those, what a sinner. And God's looking at me, and he's like, you're a sinner, Aaron. Like, if everyone knew every little thing that you have ever done, they'd be, like, weirded out. <laughs> that goes for all of us. If everyone knew every single thing you've ever said, done, or thought, I mean, we would all probably just move away from each other to our own little islands because we'd be super weirded out. Hiding just makes it worse. But here's the thing, it's hard to come clean, it's hard to confess, it's hard to go to the people you've hurt and the people you've wronged and be honest about what has happened. Why is that? It's because the thought of sitting down in front of your parents and saying, mom, dad, I really blew it, I really messed up. That's like, it's an impossible thought sometimes to to do that, there's been so many times, I remember um, in high school, I was struggling with something and the thought of like sitting down with my parents and telling them about just all the lies I had told them and just all the sneaking around, the thought of like actually, it was one of those things where it started out as a really small lie, but it just snowballed into a bigger lie and a bigger lie. Cause like, if I would have just confessed about the tiny little lie, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But then I kept trying to hide the little lie and then more lies and more lies and more lies and eventually this lie snowball had come out of nowhere and it was rolling down the hill threatening to destroy me And it was my own fault. I should have just told my parents the truth that one time instead of trying to cover my tracks over and over again. And then the thought of sitting down with them, looking in the eye and saying, hey, you know that thing uh, I said like two months ago? Yeah, I kind of lied. And now I've been lying about all this stuff over and over and over again. That's scary. It's scary to sit down and admit what you've done. But listen, it's way worse when you hide it. It's way worse than you hide it because eventually you'll have to face up to it and you'll have to explain why you lied. It's better just to admit it. Adam hid. He hid from God. He didn't come out and say, oh, hey, hey, Lord, uh, yeah, I ate the fruit. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. Instead, he hides. He hid from God behind a tree. That's a great plan, right? It's like, oh, the creator of the universe is looking for me. I'm just going to hide behind this tree he made. He'll never see past this one. That's what he did. It was stupid. But we all do stupid things when we try to hide, hide and lie from the Lord. In Psalm 139, 7 through 10, this, if you try to hide from the Lord, this will give you an idea. This is David. He's writing, and he says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. But if I go down to hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, I don't know what that means. I didn't know the morning had wings. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall see me or lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So God is the worst person to play hide and seek with ever because he's everywhere. He's in heaven. He can be in hell. He sees it all. He knows everything. It is impossible to hide from the Lord. Now, God doesn't just strike Adam dead. He doesn't just go, all right, you messed up. Because think about it. Adam is what? He's dust. Remember? That's what people were made from. That's where our DNA comes from is dust. God, when he starts the world, he like gets down. He's like, oh, dust. And Adam appears from the dust. God could have just been like, oh. And Adam just like crumbles into like dirt. And then God could have been like, I'm going to go get some more dust. I call you Jim. The next man has been made. He could have done that, but he doesn't. Here's what happens. Verse 8, let's go back to it. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, then the Lord called out to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? Was it because God didn't know where he was? No. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with a toddler? Yes, that's what you do. Where did you go? I can't find you. Oh, my goodness. And they're just like hiding behind like a stump. And you're just, you know they're there. You see them. That's what's going on with God. Adam is like the little toddler kid. And God's like, where are you? He wants to give Adam a chance to confess. God's not like, when you sin, God's not like, where are you? Come here. Like, that's not what he does. I was going to attack Trevor. He doesn't do that. But instead, he gives us a chance to come to him. He's always loving. And it's so sad that Adam was afraid of God's voice. Sin makes you think that God is out to get you. But here's the thing, guys. This trips me up. We hear God when you've sinned, when you've got guilt in your heart. Maybe you're here today and you're guilty and you've got something in your heart you're guilty about. When you start hearing the voice of the Lord, maybe right now you hear the voice of the Lord. You start to get tripped out because you think of it as a police siren. You think of it as like, oh, the the cops are coming to get me. God is coming to get me. But it's not the siren of a police car. It's the siren of an ambulance, because you're dying and you're sick and God wants to heal you and he wants to take care of you. It's not the siren of a police car, it's the siren of an ambulance. The last thing I wanna talk about is don't play the blame game. Because we all do that, we all make excuses. When we sin, one of the least things we wanna do is take ownership of it. You, we don't wanna admit that it's our fault. That's one of the biggest things Oh my goodness, you guys, being married has taught me so much about what a terrible person I am. Because, no, I'm serious. Because seriously, like, anytime my wife comes to me and she's like, Aaron, you blew it here. I just am like, well, well, you don't know. I mean, it was you. You're the one. Like, it's so easy. And maybe you relate, because maybe when your parents come to you, or your brothers or sisters or your friends, you just, like, it's because we're defensive. Like, no one likes to hear about their own garbage. We like to think that we're good people. Don't we? I do. When someone comes to me like, you did such a good job. You're so awesome. I'm like, yes, I know. Thank you. But when someone comes to me and they're like, hey, man, you blew it. I'm like, well, I mean, but do you know the whole story? Who's ever said that? You know, someone comes to you about how you built, and you're like, well, you don't know the whole context of the situation, and you'll come up with this huge backstory to vindicate and validate yourself for why you really shouldn't be in trouble. Point blank. God shows up and says, did you eat it? That's not a, like, tell me the story. That's a yes or no question. Did you eat it? But what do they say? Adam, did you eat it? Hey, man. It's this woman you gave me. I mean, she came up to me. She started tempting me with it. Why'd you give me this woman? I didn't ask for a woman. You saw me one day and you're like, oh, he looks lonely. Like, I mean, really, God, it's your fault. I mean, I'll take a little bit of the blame. Yeah, I ate it after she gave it to me. But really, God, I'll expect your apology on my desk by Monday. That's what Adam is really saying. There's no response. There's no regret. There's no remedy. What about Eve? Eve, what have you done? Well, I mean, the snake showed up, a talking snake. I mean, what else was I supposed to When a snake talks to you, I mean, that's pretty crazy. I mean, why did you even let a talking snake in the garden, Lord? This is your fault. You need to patrol the garden borders a little better. This is, I mean, this is your fault. And the snake's just like, hiss. I don't know. That was weird. Hith. Hiss. You've hissed your last. Robin Hood, Disney. Um... Okay, here's the thing, though. We always lose when we try to excuse. That's what I think. We always lose when we try to excuse. We do. When we try to make excuses for our sin, we always lose. And here's the thing, and this was something I really needed to hear while I was studying this. If there's an excuse In your apology, it becomes a sorry excuse for an apology. Do you know what I mean by that? If there's an excuse in your apology to your mom, to your dad, to your brother, to your sister, to your teacher coming up for some of you guys, if there's an excuse in your apology, it's a sorry excuse for an apology. Because the purpose of the apology is to admit guilt, not to pass the blame. It's to admit guilt and just shut up. It's to admit guilt and then just be like, I'm guilty. But we don't want to do that. Like, I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm sorry, but let me tell you why I'm not really sorry. That's what we do. In the other point where we're like, get your butt out of it, we're not talking about just rear ends. We're talking about the word, but like the word B-U-T, I'm sorry, but it's a conjunction. For you English fans. And it shouldn't be in our apologies. It always wrecks apology. Think about this. And I think this is true. When we say, I'm sorry, but, and then we give some excuse, we don't mean everything we said before the word but, but we really mean everything we said after the word but. Think about that. Don't, isn't that how it feels? When someone comes to you and says, I'm sorry, uh, but... The thing you really hear is everything they said after the word, but I give a lot of sorries, not sorries with my wife. I'm married. Like, sorry I didn't fill up your car with gas, honey, but you didn't tell me to. Sorry I texted that girl at work, but it was jerk just for work reasons, nothing for you to worry about. Sorry I was late, but there was traffic. Sorry I yelled at you, but you make me so mad sometimes. Anybody relate to this stuff? Sorry I didn't spend time with you, but I just had too much homework to do. Maybe that's you, someone in your life. Apologize is hard, it's hard to apologize. We need to learn to either apologize or make an excuse, but not do both. Not let them both live together. Because when we use the word but in our apologies, we're basically just passing the blame. And no one wins when we play the blame game. You always lose when you try to excuse. Now, I'm gonna wrap this up. Thanks for listening. Here's the thing God wants to cover your sin, He does. God wants to cover your sin. But God can't cover up what you're trying to cover up yourself. You need to be open with Him. Here's the thing. God eventually made a lambskin coat for Adam and Eve to wear. But before, before, it's super awkward. They grab some fig leaves from a tree, and they try to sew together some fig leaves. Now, I've read some commentaries that say that fig leaves are actually the, like, itchiest, nastiest, most rash-inducing plants of all time. So you can just see these naked people, like, trying to clothe themselves with these fig leaves, and God's just like, oh, no, not the fig leaves. Adam, you got to get some ointment for that. That's going to be nasty. That's really bad. It's gross. Fig leaves all over their bodies. Just ridiculous. That's what it looks like. When we're trying to cover our own sin, that's what it looks like. Jesus one time had an encounter with a fig tree. In Mark 11, it's the only time Jesus ever cursed something. Jesus sees a tree with fig leaves. Just imagine, Jesus is out walking with his disciples. He sees a tree with fig leaves. It wasn't the season for figs. Now, a fig tree, when it has fig leaves... The fig leaves are only produced for one reason. The only reason a fig tree has fig leaves is to have shade for the figs. You guys know what a fig is? Like a fig newton? It's like a certain type of fruit? Okay. So basically, Jesus is walking through the desert. He's hungry. He sees this fig tree. It's got fig leaves, which is basically an advertisement. It's saying, hey, Jesus, I got some figs. Come on over here and get some figs. Because so, it's got the fig leaves. So Jesus walks over. He goes to eat a fig. Pulls back the fig leaf. No fig. It's like clouds, but no rain. It's like smoke but no fire. Jesus sees the fig leaf, pulls it back, there's no fig. So Jesus curses the tree. He's like, you stinking tree! May you never bear figs again! And the disciples are just like, this is weird. Chill out, Jesus. He's cursing out a tree. And then the next day they walk by, and Peter's like, hey, master, that tree you cussed out is totally like withered up and dying. The point is, Jesus hates trees. No, I'm just kidding. The the point is, Jesus hates hypocrisy. When we're trying to hide sin and pretend everything is okay, one of the things Jesus said to the Pharisees is, you guys are like a cup that's like, just imagine this. Imagine you see a cup, and it's like sparkly and clean and just this fresh, like blue Plastic cup. I don't know why you get that excited about it, but you're really thirsty in this analogy. You're just so thirsty. And you show up, and there's that blue, shiny cup. And your friend's like, Hey, I got this clean cup of water for you. And you're like, Yes. And then you like grab the cup and you go for a drink, and it's filled with like leftover spaghetti, just crusted like marinara sauce, cold, like just chunky noodles. Ugh. It's the worst thing I could think of right then. And that's that's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. You're like this, you're advertising yourself as this clean cup, but you're filthy on the inside. You're like a, a tomb that somebody scrubbed really nice and clean, but there's still a rotting dead body on the inside. It's like a painted grave. Jesus wants us to be clean. The only way to be clean is to come clean. You have to get undressed before you can be dressed. Jesus wants you guys to take off the filthy, robes of unrighteousness that you're wearing, the the guilt and the shame of the things you've done wrong. He wants you to stop trying to hide wearing these nasty rags, but he wants you to take those things off, come to him and say, I blew it, I messed up, and then let him clothe you in robes of righteousness. God has a better solution. He wants Adam and Eve to trade the leaves, the nasty fig leaves, for leather. Sheepskin. The only way for there to be leather, is what? Something has to what? Die. Okay? You can't go to a cow and be like, excuse me, can I borrow your skin? And the cow's just like, certainly, and like takes, <laughs> takes the skin off, and it's just this nasty like meat bag. Oh my gosh. Ugh. No, the cow has to die and be de-skinned. The cow has to die and be de-skinned. The only way for you to be able to wear leather is for something to die. Blood has to be shed. And the most important thing I can tell you tonight is that blood has been shed for you. The Bible, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't like some random reason why God chose a lamb. He chose it as a picture because he was setting up for us right there in Genesis chapter 3, a picture of the gospel. Because what do we call Jesus? The what? The lamb. Exactly and the blood of the lamb was shed for you. That's a gift. Don't reject it. That was, the, that was the day that Adam and Eve were supposed to die, but God made a remedy. Even though there was no regret or no remorse, God still looked past their sin, and he looked past their sorry excuse for, a, for an apology, and he clothed them in the righteousness of God. And for you, Even sometimes when you're, you might be here today, and maybe you've just been making excuses for your sin. Maybe that's been your response to your sin. It's just excuse after excuse. It's not my fault. I have problems. I have a personality that's weird. It's my parents' fault for raising me the way they did. It's my friend's fault for being so stupid. It's my teacher's fault for being such a bad teacher. It's my sibling's fault for making me so mad and frustrated. It's just an excuse after excuse for your sin, and you're not willing to just own up to it. Here's the thing. Even if you've been living that lie, Jesus is still standing at the door ready with the leather to clothe you if you'll just come to him. He is ready. This was the first mistake in the world and the world's greatest mistake, but right from the start, it points to Jesus at the cross. And I want you guys to know, no matter what mistake you've made here tonight, Jesus wants you to be clean. He wants you to come to him and let him clothe you in righteousness. Stop making excuses for your sin. Stop lying about your sin. Stop trying to hide it. Some of you guys might even need to go home tonight and tell your parents something. Some of you guys might need to go home tonight and get on your knees before the Lord and just confess some stuff. And that's okay. I need to do that all the time because I am a sinner. You will never reach a point where you're like, I have made it. I am the ultimate Christian. You're always gonna struggle. You're always going to have a hard time. But here's the best thing about this. This gets me really excited, because we understand that it's a battle, it's a war against the enemy. But here's the thing, if you're fighting in a war, You're going to be depressed because you're like, I could die. If I got drafted into the army, I'd be like running around. They'd be shooting things at me, throwing grenades. I'd just be like, I'd be stressed out. I'd be freaked out because I'd be like, I am going to die. I am going to die. I would be the worst soldier. Literally, if I got drafted, they would probably kill me within five minutes. My own teammates would probably kill me because I'd be so annoying and whimpering and crying. I just don't want to get drafted, basically. So that's the point of that. But if you're out in the army and you're fighting and you're freaking out. If someone came to you, and they had this crystal ball, and they're like, let me show you the future, and you look into it, and you see the future, and the future is, oh, snap, my side wins, I don't die, we're victorious, you'd be stoked. You'd be like, I can actually be brave now because I know I don't die, I know we win. Uh, You'd be stoked. That's the thing about the struggle, The battle's already won. The future's already been decided. God wins, Jesus wins, you don't die, your sin doesn't defeat you, you eventually are delivered from your sins, you eventually do overcome all your trials, you eventually are victorious, because eventually you are in heaven with Jesus in a perfect body, in a perfect place, with your perfect maker, so be encouraged. You don't get defeated by the enemy. As long as you choose to walk with God, no matter how many times you fall down, no matter how many times you make mistakes, you can be confident that Jesus loves you and he died for you and that you win because he wins. So come to God with your sin. Don't try to hide it, but stand up and be honest with him. And watch what he does in your life. Jesus, we love you. We need you. Lord, we need to be clean. I pray, God, you'd help us to come clean. Help us, Lord, not to hold on to sins. Help us, Lord, not to hide because we're afraid of what people would think. But let's just be honest. Let's just be open. Whether it's pride, whether it's anger, whether it's jealousy, whether it's gossip, whether it's lust, whether it's anger, whether it's rebelliousness, whether it's deceit and lying to our parents, whether it's just outright disrespect for authority, whether it's Doubts or discouraging thoughts or whatever it is, Lord, that's got us gripped. Lord, I pray we'd break free and we'd come to you because you're the only one who can make us clean. And you're so willing to do it. You're so excited to do it. Lord, we need you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would cleanse us, make us clean tonight, Lord. Help us to come to you and be honest. Every single one of us, we all need to have our sin forgiven. There's none of us here that is perfect, Lord. We all struggle. But the most amazing thing about it, Lord, is you are always willing to forgive. You're always willing to help. We don't have to stay hiding our whole lives, but we can be free and open with you. Lord, help us to do that. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.